everybody for coming. Uh, are you guys having a good time so far? Learning a lot? Yeah, this is cool. Um, I, I really love whenever we do uh, defense in depth. Um, so um, just a, a quick uh, heads up. How many people know about the podcast that I do with Gunnar Hellickson, the Dave and Gunnar show? So, ah, cool. So um, we're, we're actually recording this session right now for, this is going to be a podcast episode. So and what I want to do is open it up for you guys. If you have any questions or anything like that, uh, feel free. But uh, just to let you know, if, if you have any questions, um, they will be recorded and, and shared on the podcast. So, Dan, if people wanted to subscribe to the podcast, where do they need to go? Uh, you would go to dgshow.org. Excellent. Thank you. I got them trained. Um, so that's cool. I'm like so, a parrot. Yeah. <laughs> so um, one of the things is, uh, so as... You know, I was part of the, the Red Hat Summit Selection Committee uh, for the past couple of years. And one of the trends that we've noticed was that we had so many security sessions, uh, sub submissions uh, for last year, that we actually had a whole track just on security. And that was the first time we've ever done that. Um, and, and so this year, you know, what we wanted to do for Defense in Depth was get some of the best sessions that, that we've had at the summit um, have those folks uh, present here at Defense in Depth for you guys, because I know a lot of you are under travel restrictions, and it's, it's hard to get out to travel. Um, so, but one of the other things I was thinking about is, as we were putting this together, is it that DevOps and, and Agile is, um, it's, it's really, you know, a really hot topic these days. But let me do a quick poll of the audience. Like, how many of you guys are on the, uh, the operation side of the house? Okay, how about the developer side of the house? Okay, how about the security side of the house? Okay, how many people raised their hand all three times? <laughs> Very few. Yeah, and that's one of the things, that, and we're going to talk about that in this panel, where um, what's going to happen is you're going to have you know, a, a lot of uh, contention between you know, the developers and the security folks and all that. And so what we want to do is, is talk about that a little bit. Especially knowing that you know a lot of times for like defense and death, a lot of the audience that we get is largely on the operations side or on the security side. Um, but as um, you know, people start looking at DevOps and and the developer picks up a lot of the um, the the being able to um, uh, have more responsibility for the security aspects. Well, how do they handle that? And we're going to talk a little bit about the best practices, um, how we do things with our customers, as well as how do we do things with, uh, within Red Hat? How do we develop software um, with, with best practices that way? So, so with that, let me, um, oh, and one other quick thing too is that uh, I wanted to remind you guys that uh, after three o'clock, be sure to stop by the registration table and, and pick up uh, some of the cool swag that, that Alex has got for you. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so with that, uh, let me, I, I want to introduce our panelists. So we got Josh Bressers, who's from uh, the RHEL Business Unit. And, and he takes care of a lot of our security from a product development standpoint. Uh, we have Trevor Quinn, uh, who is uh, the, the lead for our uh, uh, DevOps practice with our consulting organization at Red Hat. We have Bob St. Clair, who is our uh, uh, manager of our DOD solutions architect. So throughout the DOD, he meets with a lot of our customers as far as, uh, and talking to them about how their adoption of 
of, of uh, DevOps and Agile and, and moving away from waterfall uh, methodologies. He's going to talk about that. And last but not least, we have Dan Walsh, who is you know, famous for his SE Linux work and, and has grown into doing a lot of work with containers. So if you missed his uh, container talks this morning, uh, feel free to check them out later this afternoon. It's, it's really good stuff. Um, so with that, let, let me turn start things off with Trevor. And so for folks of you who are uh, security-minded folks or, or operations folks that, that may not be familiar with DevOps, can you explain to us what, what DevOps is, what Agile is, are they the same? And you know, Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, DevOps is, is definitely many things to, to many people um, at this point. And I don't, I don't really like to um, box ourselves in too much with, with a definition that, that unnecessarily limits our scope here. And I, I think that's reflected in the, uh, in the DevOps community at large. So the way we tend to define it is DevOps is, is a, really a movement, uh, a movement that was inspired by hyperscale uh, web companies that um, challenges organizations to radically improve software delivery efficiency through things like collaboration, measurement, uh, and, and above all, continuous improvement or optimization. Um, in terms of its relationship to Agile, um, really you can, you can kind of think of DevOps as an outgrowth of um, the, the progress that was made in rethinking application development, software development in the, you know, the, the early 2000s timeframe um, in, in the Agile movement. So this, this notion of um, really changing the way we work to, to improve the frequency and responsiveness um, of our, our IT organization to the business, uh, create kind of practices and processes that are designed to really kind of accelerate that, that level of engagement. Taking that from just the application development space and extending it all the way through the entire life cycle of the product out into deployment and into uh, release management, which necessarily starts to involve other parts of the organization. Now you're starting to talk more about operations, uh, system administrators, um, test teams, security, um, uh, other groups. So it's, it's really kind of extending that, that agile mindset into the deployment and release phases um, and, and carrying it through to its logical conclusion. Okay, cool. So how does that differ from agile? So, um, you know, I, I would say you can, you can kind of use similar practices around, um, you know, anything that you put together to improve um, personal interaction uh, mm -hmm. between individuals. So, you know, the Agile uh, movement made a, a big deal about favoring um, individuals and interactions over, uh, over uh, processes and tools. So, um, if, if DevOps is in part um, a, a, a movement designed to improve the collaboration between these previously siloed organizations, um, you can kind of use similar practices to, to try to improve um, the communication be between these teams. And whether that's you know, an, an official regimented daily stand-up to, to get those groups uh, communicating with each other, or just sort of projects that necessarily involve this seamless cross-functional exchange of information. Um, those are the kinds of practices you're going to want to engage in um, to, to improve your, your DevOps posture, I guess. And really kind of the, these things become more 
um, more, I guess, obviously interrelated, the more you think about, okay, if, if DevOps is intended to uh, speed up, accelerate our release cycles so that we're uh, going from releasing maybe only twice a year to something like twice a week, um, you're going to have to have the software delivery cadence um, set up to match the deployment and release capabilities of the infrastructure. So the two kind of go hand in hand. Okay. Yeah, and, and so Dan, um, as people, you know, so we talk a lot about containers, we talked a lot about it at the summit, um, you talked a lot about it today. Um, whenever people think about containers, does that eliminate the need for security now that everything's inside of a container? Is I love that softball to you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Containers don't contain. Um, no. Stop uh, saying that. <laughs> uh, no, it actually, it, containers can improve security overall, you know, by adding better separation between services on the system um, and make some simplification, but yeah, every, everything you've, you've learned over the last few years in doing good secure practices uh, still still pertain to containerized applications. And um, uh, my, my yeah, if you come to my talk, I talk heavily about, uh, you know, that everybody thinks that containers are going to be this holy grail of, of, you know, adding security to the system and, and just, you know, just, uh, defense in depth is the correct thing. Just containers add a new depth to, uh, you know, the security layers. Okay, and so, like, what happens whenever people are doing um, the like the security? It, how how what are ways to do things with security whenever it comes to maintaining Docker images? Like, it seems like a lot of that responsibility gets moved off to the right, um, you know, to the developer. But does it absolve the operations from the uh, from the management? And how do, how does that all work? So uh, well. If you, if you sit back and look at what containers is really bringing, containers is not so much about the technology around wrapping, I mean, around controlling what processes do on a system. The real big factor in containers is a new way of shipping software. So really what containers are leading to is bundling of, of an application stack altogether. So you basically, you have, say you have a, uh, a web front end, so you have your web software on top of, say, JBoss, and then on top of a web, web server on top of uh, basically a small piece of the operating system. You ship that all together in one bundle, and in the new container model, the developer is now in charge of that bundle, right? So he basically defines everything that goes into the bundle and packages it up and ships it out, and then the operator, the, the goal of the operator is he just to run as many of those applications around his environment. If something inside of that bundle becomes insecure or becomes bad, then it's up to the developer to uh, go back and fix it. So you have a shell shock, and so say you're building again the JBoss application, and it happens to ship with a Bash script that is susceptible to uh, shell shock. Now it's the developer's responsibility for updating that that Bash inside of his bundle. Updating the Bash on the host system doesn't fix the problem, right? Because he, he's just going to be running his little part of the operating system. So. Uh, when you're looking at this, we really want to make, t you, you really have to start thinking about examining the contents of containers in, in addition to examine the content of the operating system uh, locally. Um, so really the, operator, the operator's job is going to become making sure that the developers maintain the security level of their individual applications. Yeah, so what are, what are ways to measure that though? Uh, well, in my talk, I, uh, to give you an example of where, where this goes wrong, Docker Hub uh, had a the security analyst went in to look at Docker Hub, which has about 40,000 applications at it, um, and they found that 30% of all applications were had serious security vulnerabilities in them. 
Um, and that's basically because an, app, an application developer went and put out, uh, you know, wrote an application, put, uploaded a Docker Hub, and then went on to do something else and ignored his application from then on. Um, so what we're, Red Hat's doing is building tools to be able to examine all your containers using things like OpenSCAP and the tools that we built for examining host operating systems. Examine all containers that either on your registries or inside of your, uh, actually distributed around the environment and, and, and notifying you that, hey, this application is based on a, a, a vulnerable configuration or vulnerable application. And then you can go back to your developers and say, hey, I need this application fixed right away. Or, or in, in, in most cases, you could go into the application and actually update the software yourself. Um, but if you do that, then you've sort of broken the DevOps model because the developer is supposed to be in charge of the application. But we allow the administrators to go into app. You know, you can go into a, a container and actually do a YAM update to update the, the say the bad shell shock. But you really need to work with your developers closely on making sure that they continuously, uh, you know, update their applications. Yeah, so the, the, one of the interesting things, I know this is a lot of the work that we've been doing, and, and I'd love for you guys to power on too, is it with OpenSCAP, not only can you use uh, with the, the container work we've been doing with OpenSCAP, is to be able to scan a container for uh, vulnerabilities by using, say, like Oval Data, uh, but we could also use things like uh, the SCAP security guide or the DISA-STIG to be able to scan a container to see if it drifts out of conformance. But, but uh, you know, what about making those things as part of the DevOps workflow. Like for instance, like uh, like a CI, CD, you know, the same way that you, uh, you know, somebody pushes code into their repository and you automatically build it, should it be doing a scan at the same time to make sure that, oh, the, the developer didn't do something to cause it to drift out of compliance or introduce a security vulnerability? Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things we encourage uh, organizations to look into um, when we're out in, in our consulting engagements is to start thinking of ways to build out a truly automated deployment pipeline. So try to get a sense of what your overall system of software delivery looks like from a, from a requirements gathering and, and development perspective all the way out to release. Um, and then try to really capture that as, as an automated set of steps um, that, that is well described, that is measured, that is something that you can optimize over time and build into that pipeline the discrete steps necessary to ensure compliance, uh, to continually uh, test the software, both from a functionality standpoint and in terms of non-functional requirements for things like security, such that a lot of this, um, a lot of this activity that that used to be very manual uh, and sometimes even ad hoc, is um, not just sort of captured and documented, but really systematized and automated, so that it, it becomes. Um, you, you don't have to think about it. it mm -hmm. It's just sort of automatically built into your rele release process, and it's actually harder for developers or testers or anybody else in the organization to deviate from that process because so much of that workflow has been scripted out or built, and there are certainly a lot of uh, cloud automation tools and technologies, including ones that, um, that Red Hat offers, that uh, really make that a lot easier than it has been in years past to build out. Yeah. So let me ask you guys, how many people are using the SCAP tools that we're providing in, inside of RHEL? Okay. How many people are taking the SCAP uh, content uh, this today in, in the Defense in Depth? Highly encourage that. And, and what's cool is we, uh, Satellite 6.1 just came out and we've added a lot of the 
um, the SCAP capabilities into that, and the user interface for it is really, really beautiful. It's, it's really good. Um, I, I believe, Matt, are you talking about that later? Uh, so that's, that's going to be really good. So, Josh, how do we uh, drink our own champagne in, in terms of embracing <laughs> the, the security within our development model, whether it's uh, DevOps or, you know, how, how do we, how do, we uh, do that? So I talked about this a little while ago, actually, is we have quite a lot, speak a little closer. So we, we do a bunch of stuff inside Red Hat in terms of securing our supply chain. Because obviously, you know, when you're dealing with open source, you've got a bit wild west if you're going upstream and finding the stuff on your own and then you have to track it after you get it. And this is, I mean, this kind of goes back to what Dan was saying about all these containers that are full of security issues. Well, it's no different if you're just cherry picking source code off the internet and trying to throw that into your application. You need to know where it's coming from, you need to understand what's going on. And so that's kind of the, the fundamental thing Red Hat does from the start is we take all this software and we package it up into kind of a known state. And then we do a whole bunch of interesting things along the way in terms of where we, as we're adding features and fixing bugs, we're you know, building this stuff and paying attention to what's going on. We're running various you know, static analysis tools on it. We have human beings look at it a little bit. And we do all kinds of stuff that kind of adds trust. And then at the end of the day, you know, Red Hat signs it with, with one of our keys. And you know, if Red Hat signs it, Red Hat trusts it is kind of what it comes down to. And then that falls to you guys that you know, do you trust Red Hat is kind of what it, what it is. You know, if we've signed it and you trust us, you can trust it. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, um, so Trevor, how, how do people get started? Like whenever you meet with customers um, that maybe um, they're so used to using the waterfall model. I, you know, I know in public sector, it's, you know, water, uh, waterfall has been used extensively and, and very long waterfall approaches. How, how do you get people, is it, is it like a big bang, like a shock and awe where you tell them to burn down everything and, and start all over? Or, or how do you, or do you ease them into it? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, no, I mean, big bang approaches don't tend to work too much with, with IT projects. Uh, and, and it's no different with um, sort of organizational transformation. Uh, which is really kind of at the heart of, of what DevOps is, is trying to accomplish. So we look at it as, as an iterative process. Um, you want to start by defining kind of a current state, define a target state, and then uh, work through a series of small steps to get you uh, moving in the right direction, always with an eye toward metrics, um, having sort of specific achievable um, uh, realistic objectives that you're that you're moving toward and then have a way to kind of measure your progress on that um, now the challenge with waterfall environments is increasingly we are seeing that some measure of agile software development practice is a, is a bit of a prereq uh, for for DevOps so um, the the challenge for those organizations is that they are they're gonna have to move forward on on multiple fronts mm -hmm. Um, but uh, you need to break off kind of uh, manageable chunks of activity and be able to uh, build momentum as you go, and, and, you, and you can't do that by trying to, you know, do the boil the ocean approach and, and do all things uh, at once. Okay. So, so, Bob, where are you seeing uh, adoption with, you know, talking about waterfall model in the DOD? You know, that's, uh, you know, a, a lot of times it's, you know, you're, you're, the DOD is, is, has programs that last, you know, dozens of years, you know, if you think about ships and aircraft and, and things like that and maintenance cycles. Um, where do you see the adoption and how do you see that, 
you know, is, is, is the adoption growing or, or, how, or any successes you can talk about? Right. Um, absolutely, it is growing. There's, there's interest uh, uh, across the DOD. Um, ever since I began supporting the DOD, the, the main goal has always been to support the warfighter. How can we get the applications, the technologies, the tools to the warfighter faster? And uh, uh, every customer is looking for uh, um, uh, cost reduction. They're looking for uh, making things more efficient and while not compromising security. Um, you know, a good example of uh, um, where we're doing um, some DevOps uh, in the DOD is a, a very uh, um, significant program. It's the Navy Canes program. And Navy Canes uh, started originally uh, many years ago, uh, back in 2010, where uh, it was an effort to consolidate uh, all the, uh, the the vendors when they would bring an application or a solution to a ship, they they wanted to, they were bringing the whole monolithic stack, and uh, that was not efficient. Too much hardware, too many racks, too many cables. So that Kane's effort was an effort to uh, reduce the amount of hardware, and then also standardize the operating environment, which they standardized on RHEL and, and virtualization. Uh, years after that, they uh, um, they also um, said, okay, well, how can we leverage uh, the software out that's out there today uh, from a platform as a service perspective? And they they um, they said, well, you know, what is a what is a standard ESB that we could use for uh, application development? Then they started saying, well, we we don't need uh, multiple rules uh, rules engines. And what if we were to standardize the platform as a service? Uh, and, uh, and then not have to recertify the, the whole stack, the whole monolithic stack. We could just certify the deltas or the new apps coming in. And uh, that's when they began looking at um, um, uh, uh, OpenShift, yep. which is you know, very integrated to what Dan's been talking about with, with containers. Yeah. yeah, so it sounded like the, the big success there was a standardization. So let me ask you guys, like whether Dan, it's like with containers or uh, Trevor and, and and Josh. Like how how important is standardization whenever somebody goes to uh, embrace DevOps compared to having just all kind of like cats and dogs throughout an environment as scatters of assortments of different uh, different things. Whether it's bright different flavors of containers or just you walk into somebody's environment and they just have all kind of stuff deployed. Like how important is standardization whenever? Uh, you, you go to move into uh, uh, DevOps lifestyle. I, I mean, I, it, I think so much of DevOps is is built around the notion of frequent delivery, um, mm -hmm. and 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 automation is is such a key part of that. It's difficult to automate if you're doing highly sort of ad hoc, one-off type approaches every every time you're you're doing a release or a new application effort. So to me, it's it's pretty essential. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think standardization on on your platform is is critical in, in, in the container environment because worst case scenario, you're going to end up with environments where you're going to have tens of different operating systems running each one of the containers. So if you're starting to manage an environment that has a little bit of BusyBox, a little bit of Canonical, a little bit of RHEL and Fedora, and and all of a sudden you know, the, the latest vulnerability comes out, how are you going to go and look at all these different operating, you, you're really sort of scaling up the number of operating systems you're supporting, you know, because each one of the containers basically has a micro operating system inside of it, and you're really in charge of it. So um, allowing 
uh, developers to just pick out random, you know, whatever, whatever the uh, operating system du jour is to run in your environment is, is something that needs to be squashed quickly because, you, again, you're going to end up with hundreds of different uh, operating systems versions, um, you know, little little changes, and um, you know, you, you. So it's just it's again, it's you think it's common sense, but it's something that has to be thought about. Yeah. So, so Josh, we were talking earlier in the hall about like Maven and all that, and how it that scares you, um, and and it's you know, so part of it is like um, somebody uh, is building an application, um, and then ten minutes later, somebody else builds does another build, and then they're pulling down a different version, and and you know, all that control. How how do we, you know, what are some ways to have some discipline, whether it, whether it's middleware development or um, you know, rel development and all that, you know, how does you know, what are some, what's, how do we do standardization um, with, with our stuff? You know, instead of, you know, having discipline and preventing, but being able to provide things to people so it's useful to prevent them from going out to the latest, like, community bits and pulling something down. So one of the things we do is we curate the content that Red Hat's shipping. We make sure that it's, I get high quality, and we pay attention to what's going inside of it. And... There's nothing wrong with necessarily working with what's coming from upstream and what's kind of in that wild west, but you need to understand what's there. You need to know what you're shipping. You need to know what's going on. And, you know, like Dave said, with, with, when you're dealing with something like Maven, you could have builds minutes apart that contain different content. And that's obviously a problem from a risk management perspective because if you don't know what you're shipping, you could get yourself into trouble at some later date. I mean... It, you guys, anyone who's paid attention knows that secure, there's been some crazy security stuff going on in, in recent memory. And, I mean, part of that is if you don't know what's there, you're going to have a bad day, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of, like, really great partners that we have, like, like Sonatype, that will do, that could help us, you know, from a, from a Maven standpoint to have that, that discipline. Um, I know, you know, the other thing that we have are things like software collections. Um, and, uh, uh, so you know that also helps too. Where a lot of times people want to have the latest version of Git or the latest version of, of Node.js or or whatever, um, and that again provides uh, customers with a disciplined way to pull down the the latest stable you know databases, uh, scripting languages, compilers, um, and things like that. But have it be managed by their satellite server and have that consistent environment. Yeah. Um, so. Any questions so far that you guys have? I want to make sure you guys get a chance to, to say, um, we've got about 10 minutes left. i got plenty more questions, but I wanted to see if you guys have anything. And, and uh, um, raise your hand, and, and we'll make sure we get you on the board. Um, so what, what are the, the, the common pitfalls that people get into, Trevor, as far as, um, you know, it's like they, they, maybe they're entrenched in the waterfall lifestyle forever, um, and then... Um, you know, what are the common pitfalls that, that people fall into whenever they go to embrace Agile or DevOps, and, and how do, what are ways to, to fend that off? I think the, the challenge is organizations that are used to a big batch style of delivery, getting them to think about work in terms of smaller batches. So um, there's, a, there's a tendency to think of a release as being an entire large set of features um, that, that's bundled up over the course of, you know, and, and, and represents maybe six, 12 months of activity. Um, 
it, it's sort of getting both the kind of program managers comfortable with the notion of smaller incremental releases and then also working with your user community a lot of times internal that is also used to seeing uh, a, a much less frequent cadence of delivery um, getting them to understand that the you know the, the web application that they're seeing uh, today may have changed since two weeks ago and, and finding a way to, to sort of strike that balance between keeping the software fresh and responsive to feature requests and security mm -hmm. uh, violations and so forth, but also not overwhelming your users with this sort of continual change such that they always feel sort of on unsure footing when, when they're using the application. Um, it's, a, it's a cultural change more yeah. than anything. And, that, and that's become sort of a truism of the DevOps movement that at the end of the day, uh, you can put in all the processes and practices you want People have to have a sense of the common mission behind um, behind this philosophy of software development and delivery, and once they've sort of embraced that, the rest of it kind of comes easier. Does it necessitate Does it necessitate an org chart change? You know, um, there's a lot of debate about that. I think that uh, in an ideal world, there would be um, changes to the org chart to reflect. Um, you know, the, the breaking down of those silos. Um, you know, realistically, it's going to be a while before IT organizations are, are willing to take those steps. Yeah. Um, but in lieu of that, we really have to be serious about the ways we um, sort of facilitate cross-functional collaboration. Um, and, and if an org chart change is, is the, ultimately the only thing that can make it happen, that, that may be something that um, IT management needs to start taking seriously as well. Yeah, like you may have the, the developers may be all in in that part of the org, but if ops doesn't embrace it, you're not going to be successful. Correct. Yeah. So, so Bob, and, and I'm sure Trevor has some opinions. So whenever you have customers come to you and it's like, okay, how do I get started? Um, you know, and it's like they see Red Hat and, you know, what better way to do like DevOps and... Um, agile, you know, than, than with open source, they, you know, they often come to us. How, how do you get customers started uh, in, in that lifestyle? What, what, how can we help them? I, I think, there's, I think there's, there's two issues or two problems that we're trying to deal with. And, and one is that we have a lot of, when we talk to people and we help them understand, show them the new capabilities with the new technology, they're very interested. And mm -hmm. they want to move a lot faster than the policies and processes that are in place. Uh, can move, and so that's very frustrating. Whether it's a budgeting or um, uh, uh, acquiring software hardware, ac the acquisition process, um, uh, IA certifying the the application, uh, and sometimes I think we're, our processes are just need to be updated because they're 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 doing things the way we did in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's one issue. The second issue is. Uh, uh, is we have a services team that's very capable and we're doing this right now for one of our customers um, where we're actually going in and, and uh, we've got a standard statement of work. Uh, it's a, where we go in and do an assessment for the customer and uh, help them uh, identify areas where they can technically make, make improvements. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're doing that in one such consulting case now. Um, so we focus more on the technical side, but we also help them identify uh, uh, problems with the process and policies. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. And just to pile on that, 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 that's really kind of our standard approach from the consulting side. We, 
you know, we are we are very closely aligned to uh, Red Hat product uh, technology capability, uh, but we also recognize a lot of these um, a lot of these technologies are pretty transformative, and we like to go in and, and get more of a holistic view of of the organization and talk to customers about things like organization and culture, um, the uh, you know metrics and reporting, the state of metrics and reporting in the organization. What does testing look like? How automated is, is testing and how much coverage do you have from the functional and non-functional side? All these kind of related issues um, that kind of circle around implementations of things like OpenShift, Kubernetes, Docker. Um, we, we try to get that sense um, through this assessment phase that, that Bob mentioned and then really work with the customer to figure out what are those sort of bite-sized pieces, what are those uh, increments of work that can move them in the right direction um, while, while sort of putting the, the technology that they're looking at in, into place at the same time. Yeah. yeah. I just, just want to point out that Red Hat's been going through the same process over the last year and a half, and, and all, all these things remind me of all, you know, as we've gone to an agile environment and um, building out Docker and Kubernetes and Atomic Stack and all, all these things, we've been taking different parts of the organization you know, I work now with satellite guys, which you know, I'm in the base engineering. We work with OpenShift guys. We have cross teams going on. We have release engineers. Um, so you, you do end up breaking down these silos that get developed over, over time when you move to an agile process. And, and there, are, there are growing pains with it, but I mean, you know, and, and you really have to rethink the way you, know, you, you work in this environment. So, uh, and I think we gradually get better. So it's sort of, you know, you're not only is the software getting better, but I think the people that do it start to get better at it and, and develop and, over time. And that's that's within Red Hat. And I, I'd be interested, like Josh and Dan, like how do we do it from an engineering standpoint outside of the company? Like when we work with Docker, when we work with Google on Kubernetes, are right. they doing Agile? And how do we, you know, how do you do that as part of a, a, an open source community? Yeah, we're, we're actually struggling with that with Fedora right now because similarly, Fedora, had, uh, Fedora releases every six months, and and in rel terms, that's you know nuts quick. Fast, yeah. But in agile time, you know uh, the Atomic project. We're try, we're, our goal with the Atomic project is release every two weeks. Um, so um, just just getting our upstream community to sort of buy into you know, we need to have new small releases of Atomic every two weeks, or in CentOS's world, every four weeks, and, and actually in rel, we're releasing every six weeks. So all these communities we're trying to, to work with. Uh, on the same token, on the upstreams uh, like Docker and Kubernetes, uh, we, we tend to be behind them because they want, they're releasing even faster. So um, it, it is a struggle to, to, to coordinate all these uh, efforts together and, and maintain things like security. And, mm -hmm. um, but that's where like, like use, using Jenkins to do you know, full test suites and, and, and um, you know, get, getting as much automated as possible, just because the, the the churn and the rapid development is is incredible. Okay. Anything you wanted to add? Or? No, I agree. Okay. I mean, yeah. Dan pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Okay. So I I think we're out of time here. But uh, one of the the trademark things I do when I moderate panels is I get each of the panelists to uh, if, if they were going to tweet uh, uh, if people were going to tweet one thing that you guys said today. What would that be? And, and while you guys think of it, um, Dan, where, where is this uh, recording going to be at? I would go to dgshow.org. I would put that as your homepage. On, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, Dan's yeah, homepage. Yeah. 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 
So, all right. So, Josh, what 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 would that uh, tweetable quote uh, that you would have uh, so, for today? I would say that good security is is really timeless. Where all these new models keep coming, we've got things like you know DevOps is a new hip thing, but you know fundamentally at the end of the day, the things that keep us secure, nothing's changed, right? You still need to remember how this all works. Okay, so Trevor, I would say something like, in order to deliver better software, we must consider delivering software more frequently. Are you sure that's 140 characters? I, I did uh, <laughs> I did count it out in my head. I think it's 132. <laughs> All right. Um, and just by way of explanation, if I can throw one more comment in there, um, I, I think that's true for security just as much as for, for sort of um, business-facing functionality. Um, we're at a point uh, in, in, the, in, in the progress of technology where security vulnerabilities are coming at us hard and fast and we have to be able to react in real time. And there's really no way to do that without having a system for delivering software at a much more frequent pace than we have been used to in the past. Nice. Okay, Bob? I think we owe it to the warfighter. Um, and that sounds cliche, but I, I think we owe it to the warfighter to, to uh, look work together to look at the processes, look at the policies, and, and see if we can match the innovation with technology. The, the technology's there, the security's in there, and the open source uh, products, I think we need to uh, see how we can improve that. Okay, Dan, close us out. Yeah, as um, Gorbachev, I mean, as Reagan said to Gorbachev, when it comes to operators versus developers, you need to trust but verify. So make sure that the developers are doing their jobs. Nice, nice. Okay, well that's all we got. Um, I wanted to thank everybody for coming today. We're going to start off in uh, 15 minutes with some more sessions, but let's let's give our panelists a round of applause, and we'll see you later. Thank you.